Welcome to this first uh, Indic Book Club Writers Open House with Otis. And uh, for those of you joining in for the first time, you know the drill. You register and uh, you send in your uh, writing piece that you want feedback on, and Otis will take a look at it, uh, uh, mark up his feedback, send it back to you. And what you are supposed to do is send it in the form of a PDF document in Times New Roman font uh, size 12, double spaced. Uh, approximately 800 words in length and be sure to send it at least a few days in advance if not more so that uh, Otis gets enough time to look at it and give us feedback and send it back and then when we meet on Sunday uh, Otis goes through the submitted pieces and gives uh, his not only his feedback but also general in in general share some uh, points about writing that uh, that piece uh, is, uh, is you know uh, uh, is worth talking about. So with that preamble, and before I turn it over to you, Otis, um, I believe you said you had two pieces uh, in, in, that you wanted to review, which is fine. I think given that it was the year end and all people were taking a break, it's still good we have two pieces. Uh, Anvita's piece, uh, you know, please feel free to, to cover it anytime. Uh, you know, as she said that she has her exams coming up in a couple of days, so she may not be able to join, but uh, uh, I'll be sure to pass on that feedback to her and we are anyway going to we are recording this so okay, over to great. you um yeah i i will do that story first um so yeah uh let me let me share my screen and then i'm ram has a story and we'll do that story next and we should and there's always it's it's, it's funny even though the pieces are short there's always a lot to cover <laughs> um so exactly. there's a lot to learn from um no matter what i mean that writing is just amazing that way it reveals so much about us our i mean it's it's this way to try and capture the imagination and there's there's a there's a lot lost in translation between the imagination and the words on the page this is it's the it's the biggest issue with writing is that you know we have this sort of platonic ideal in our mind about what's going to happen and then you know then we create these shadows on the cave wall that are like uh, I'm not so sure that's capturing it but it's a uh, it's just a wonderful process um, it's a great thing to do let's see screen share and I'm gonna go to this the wait is over um, I Yeah, you can see the screen. Okay, I'm going to get rid of that. Um, okay, so one thing, uh, Ram, I, I want to say, I want to applaud you for your, your file name. And uh, <laughs> that was great. Thank you so much. That makes my life so much easier. And, um, you know, better use of my time, definitely. Yeah. Um, there, are, there are some advantages of being a trained accountant. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I think, I think yeah, Ram, I think you might be able to give us all lessons in how to uh, write a file name. And, uh, I'll do that. And also, you very nicely had both the title and, uh, and your name on the front, which we'll see that this piece doesn't have. So 
that those are just little things that, that make it wobbly for me because I don't know what I'm dealing. You know, I'm just trying to sure. really solidify time. So that that's really helpful, Ron. When you do, I just I just put a small mail maybe and I'll put it up on the Facebook page maybe with a small file naming convention. Very simple one. I'll do that. That that would that would be helpful if it yeah, honestly if it were even just routinized. You know, so there's yeah. just a routine that I could always expect the same thing. Yeah. It's funny, you know, when it, when we when we get to the point where and we should get to the point where we're submitting to journals. Yeah. Doing all of that. There's all these professional forms. And whenever yeah. you go to the submission pages of journals, they always outline these forms and you're like, oh, you're so tedious. I, you know, why are you in, impinging upon my creative genius in this <laughs> way? And yeah. uh, now I see why I see why. No, it makes it so. Even when I have to edit something I have written, I find that if I have spaced it properly, large size font, so it makes it easier. It's easier on the eye. Otherwise, I see dense text. Even though I have written the dense text, I find it a little intimidating. Yeah, uh, yeah, and and um, and this piece, you know, this this piece here, just in formatting, you know, we could just say a little bit of that. Like this is dense text, you know the. And I've heard this too because I, I I was fortunate to be able to study poetry with some um, really well one particular poet who was just great and uh, and I learned a lot um, that during my PhD it was basically all I learned during my PhD was working with this this poet. But the white space is really important for helping again creating the patterns. Human beings are pattern makers, and we want to create patterns. We want to create a, a welcoming visual space. And everything that we don't do in that regard actually is ends up being reflected. Like, like even, I mean, it might. It, I know it can seem silly, but these, you know, attention. I think the attention to those kinds of details right. start to, like, like it's not how I started because I started with, oh, what do I want to say? You know, so that's all I was thinking about. But when we start thinking about these other details of the audience, we start getting into a better territory because we move into the territory between us and our audience. And it's this place that we actually have to be. Right. We, we, we need, yes, we have our imagination, but we need to put our imagination into this, this mutual territory. And so those little things are it's actually a way to learn about the world. You know, you're learning about how other people see things. Right. Um, yeah, it's, that's what, that's what I mean. A small amount of writing just goes into really the big picture about, you know, what we're doing in our relationships. Um, this piece, um, so we don't have the author to read a section, but I will just tell you it's, it's quite short. Um, but it's a, it's a nice little piece. This piece does something um, that I think we we really want to concentrate on doing. We are we are not rocket scientists. You know, we are storytellers, and storytellers are really working with one basic pattern. The one basic pattern that we're working with, I believe. And how about this? Once we become master of this one pattern, then we'll go to every other pattern. Okay. But, but let's become master of this pattern first, which is character, event, occurs, an action. That event is usually a conflict with antagonistic forces. That is what an, that in fact, I would say that defines what an event is. An event 
is a conflict with antagonistic forces. Lacking that, we have a non-event. So, uh, so character event, which is a conflict with antagonistic forces, and character change. That's it. That's the pattern. Infinitely variable. Um, you know, you can go as shallow as you want, as, you know, as they say, as wide or as deep as you want. You can do whatever you want with it. But the better we work with that pattern, that is the pattern of the storyteller. Um, and this story does have that. We have a, we have a child who um, we're very uh, involved in their point of view. Uh, he has a perception of himself. He's been waiting for something. He's waiting for this great information. He's, he's assured that he's, um, you know, kind of all powerful and, 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 and the best in the world. He perceives as this large world in which he's the best. And uh, he goes and basically he meets reality, right? So, the, right, the antagonistic force is often reality. And, and this is another great thing about stories, again, essential to our, our structure. The character walks in with a subjective view of reality. They meet the antagonistic force. The antagonistic force is, unfortunately, whether we like it or not, reality. It exists, comes in, and the character is changed by their confrontation with reality, which is the antagonistic force, the rest of the world. So, and in that way, it's, it, is, it is a story about subjectivity, meeting, having an objective experience, and coming out changed. They don't come out objective, right? They're still a subjective character and see things within their point of view, but they've been changed somewhat by this interaction. And that's what, that, that thing is what we can say something happened, okay? I really want to make that clear. It's like a story, when we have a story, we're basically saying something happened and that's the thing that happened. Um, so this character comes in with these ideas. He rushes up through this crowd. I love there's a great detail of the, of the child coming through with, with pointy elbows to get through. Those details actually are so good. We really want to, you know, uh, pick our moments for those details, but we, we love details. And then he gets to the front, and he does not see his name at all on this computer screen. And then at the end, um, we, we don't really find out that he's a small child until the very end, but he says, you lied to me, you lied to me, didn't you? Um, I didn't get in. And then this is the line that's really great. Okay, you told me I was the best, Mommy. Why did you lie? Like, that's the great line here. Because, because we, so this story does go on. Like, I, I make the note, so this is a story to me. I make the note that it kind of, it, it kind of doesn't treat the child as seriously as I would like after this. Because it kind of turns in, oh, Chris, sweetie, calm down. It's just an entrance exam. I'm sure you'll find another kin kindergarten. So it becomes a little, the story becomes a little patronizing to the child. But the coming of age the, the issue of coming of age, or even let's just say the issue of character meeting objective reality and coming out changed, I am going to say again, that is a story. 
That's the story whether the kid is 7, 17, 27, 57, 87, right? That, does that make sense? I really, that's, I think, such an important thing to understand. Like, it isn't for us from our subjective point of view to say, oh, that's a kid, that's a, that's just kid stuff. It is not kid stuff. That is story. That conflict, that conflict between basically having an awakening of, I live in this world in which I have these belief systems, I have a worldview in which I'm great and wonderful and perfect, I have this conflict, and now I've realized that I'm not the only thing that exists in the world. That is the story that we tell over and over again. And that's a real story that whether that kid is in kindergarten, and for me, the reader, right, um, that story can touch me if we do it well. And that means you have a real true audience. So we're not taking, we're not writing a story about a child and then actually as an author, we're objectifying the child as being like, oh, what a silly kid. We don't do, we don't do that. We actually take that kid and we say, that kid is a character. We've given them everything. We've given them our whole heart and our whole attention. And we're basically saying that this story is important for everybody who reads it. And we want to write it to that level. Um, so, so like for me, and it's partially probably because, you know, I have some, um, you know, I just have, I just have training in doing this, you know, because I've read so many stories, but like this story reminded me of, um, what do I have here? My, I don't seem to have a, anyway, I was reminded of James Joyce's Araby, which is one of the most famous stories that, I mean, it's like the one that's taught to everyone in the US and I'm sure in England, well, maybe not in England because Joyce is Irish, but anyway, it's, that was a little joke. Um, but it's, it's a story about a kid. It's a coming of age story. And it's a, I mean, it's a, it's a classic, it's a masterpiece. And he's a master story, short story writer. His book of short stories is uh, Dubliners. We should, you know, if we're writing short stories, there's some people that we should have on our list and Joyce's Dubliners is one of them. We should have Chekhov. We should have um, the American, I'm not, I'm not grabbing it right now, but we should have the American, um, oh my God, I can't believe I'm spacing his first name, Carver, anyway. Uh, there's a great book called What We Talk About When We Talk About Love. Definitely read that story if you want to be a short story writer. Um, that's like, those, those are, if we think about Chekhov, then to Joyce, and then to Carver, that is sort of like a, a, a brief history of um, the modern American style anyway, short story. Um, yeah, that's a good, that's a good little primer. But anyway, I was reminded of James Joyce's Araby. It has, it's a story about a kid and it's a kid on this sort of romantic quest. And it has, um, you know, this phenomenal ending, you know, lyrically phenomenal ending when he realizes that his quest, this romantic quest, and it was a, was a fantasy of his own. 
And that's a little bit what we have here, right? So I'll go back to this great line. You told me I was the best. You know, why did you lie? I mean, that is a great, that's a great and actually a profound question. You know, why did you keep, right? Because a story like this and every story is, uh, there was, I forget that English uh, poet, Blake anyway, he wrote poems of innocence and experience, but that transition from innocence, which is what we can say naivete, or this sense that, you know, whatever, whatever your sense is actually, whatever naive place you're at, transition to experience, basically having an event of experience so that your naivete is challenged, that, that's, that's a profound moment. Um, and the answer to that question, why did you lie, is actually, you know, that's a big question, right? What, why, what, why does the parent, what, why are we kept from reality? And what does that say about reality? Right? I mean, I, I mean, that really, that, that kind of blows my mind. I mean, it tells us that reality is something that we must be protected from. That's pretty, that's pretty profound. That's a pretty profound message. So, so I think that this story is beginning. There's a couple little things I'd like to bring up in this story. Um, sorry, why is, uh, why are you being persnickety? Oh, come on. I'm not able to move this suddenly. Let's see. Oh. Okay, well, can you see can you see just at this this point here? This is not exactly where I want to talk. I want to talk at the beginning. So in the beginning of this story, uh, the child says yep. um they the, the child says, um um I this is my moment. I'm gonna show everyone I'm the best in the no, it just says you know, I'm the best in the world or something like that. But there really isn't a way for the reader to understand actually what point of view we're in. So we don't really know how to interpret that. Um, I think it's always good for us to, even from the very, from the very beginning of our work, to establish the point of view and the conflict immediately but we want the reader to understand. So I've, I, I've said this before, but, but I have to repeat it to myself. The reader does not read to find out what is happening. They read to find out what's going to happen next. So our issue is anticipation. We do not want the reader to ever feel confused about what is happening. And, and this is, this is a very, um, important point for, and, and can, it can be a difficult point for us as writers because it makes us feel like we have to explain what did happen. Not so. We do not have to explain what did happen. We just have to have it be clear what is happening. Does that make sense? We have to stay, we want to stay fixed in the moment and we want the reader to be able to be, you know, sure of what is happening. But when I read, when I read something like the best in, in the whole world, I don't know what the word what the word world means. I, I know I'm being so persnickety, but that's that's like that's what I mean. It's like I don't know what that means. 
Because right when I'm reading that, I'm like, is this about Superman? Is this about someone who is the best in the entire world? I don't know. What, what, when we use the word world, what is meant by it? So, and, and to do that, I can't understand what world means until I understand that it is this boy's world. Okay, the best in my world. And for that to happen, I need to have the boy there. Does that make sense? Because this could be, as far as I can tell, it could be a CEO. It could be the, it could be the CEO of IBM. It could be Steve Jobs, right? It could be Elon Musk. I don't know. So I can't understand what the world is. So that means I don't know what is happening. So it's a small point, but, but I think one that's important for us to, to strive for, you know. Um, and again, don't worry about what did happen. Doesn't matter at all. If the reader knows what is happening, they're totally happy. This is happening, this is happening, this is happening, this is happening. And this is exactly what we want to try and get our reader into the habit of doing, digesting perfectly what happened here, what happened here, what happened here, and at the same time building a sense of dread about what will happen next and having an expectation, a hopeful expectation and a dread about what's going to happen next as they understand what's happening here. Um, and then this is a little point of view thing. Uh, I think the point of view could be a little bit tighter in this. We some, so, so I marked this area here. This had started to attract attention. So though we're usually in the boy's point of view very closely, and then you know, I hope the author will read Araby to see what that point of view feels like. Um, here we're like started to attract attention. Who's seeing that? So when I, as the reader, go into the boy's point of view, I basically am happy there. Okay, so now, and you can make me really feel his experience by leaving me there and seeing the world through his point of view. He's the one, he's the protagonist, which means the protagonist is the character who changes. That's the protagonist. They're not the good character. They're not the, you know, the hero. They're the hero in that they struggle through uh, uh, an interaction with reality. That's why they're heroic. Um, so anyway, I, in this story, a little more attention to the point of view and also the thing about paying attention to point of view is that's where our work is really fun. You know, when, when we stop being when we stop being a writer here writing about characters there and instead we become characters and see the world through those eyes, then when we do that, we recreate that experience for our reader. Then they become the character and they see the world through those eyes. And this is the fundamental thing that storytelling can do better than anything else. It can basically make a reader walk in the shoes, as they say, of a character to live their experience. And that's the deepest kind of empathy that we can have. A non-objectifying empathy. We're not, we're not looking at someone. We are them, imaginatively. So we'll keep that in mind. But um, yeah, that's it. Perfect. Thanks, uh, Otis. This was great. And uh, yeah. And she'll be delighted with this feedback. Uh, perfect. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, so, so I, I really, I, I, you know, it's, 
it's it's it can be difficult, you know, from from my point of view, I I don't always like the element of story, character meeting event and coming out changed is so ubiquitous in stories that we can sometimes not understand that that's what's happening. Um, I think it's a really good idea for us when we read something to recognize that we have seen that pattern and then really for us to try and also emulate that pattern. That, that is, it is to me the first step of actually writing something that is a story. So this is a story. Now it's a question of making it a better story. That's it, but it's already here. The, the, the pattern exists. Correct. So one question. So, you know, you, you've talked about the point of view a couple of times out here pointing out uh, that uh, it's not clear. Now, if one is not writing in the first person, uh, and if one is using, you know, the omniscient uh, narrator's point of view, how do you manage the changes in point of view? Because they are obviously going to be, uh, you know, if, if one is adopting that omniscient narrator's uh, uh, point of view style of writing, then there will be shifts in points of view. How does one manage it without confusing or, or you know, uh, creating doubt in the minds of the reader that which point of view am I reading now? Well, so you you want to have so there's kind of some subtle things. I I don't know what to talk about first, but you want to have you want to have very clear transitions between um, the points of view. So a point of view is like this camera that exists. Um, it's it's the way that the reader experiences the world, and it is the the probably the most important word to think about is it's a point. Okay, so there's different things that can happen. So what happens in this story is I know that I'm immersed. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm acknowledging I don't understand this idea of the world. I don't understand what the world is. But I do definitely have the sense that I'm immersed in the point of view, which means that I'm seeing the world through. So there's a character. I'm seeing the world through them or close to them. Right? So and I'm happy when it's there, but it can be like, you know, uh, the boy, it doesn't matter whether it's third person or first person. We can, we can often have an easier time with point of view when we write in first person, if we are able to be clearly in the character's point of view. But anyway, so we're with this boy and we're seeing the world this way. He's, there's a crowd, right? And he's thinking, so we're in his point of view. But suddenly, when we shift that point of view in another sentence to, um, to a view up here, now looking at him, right? So this is the thing that I'm sensitive to. I'm sensitive to being here, seeing the world this way, two eyes, looking out, feeling, etc., being in that body or next to that body, right? Right. And then suddenly being here with somebody else. Because okay. if I'm seeing the boy from here, from this distance, I also must be somewhere. And my question is, where am I? So again, I don't know. What you might be talking about, having points of view where you have like, you know, Jack, you know, Jack's point of view, and then you might have Jane's point of view, right? So now you're switching, you're going, and you want to have what we call a hard transition, right? Where you're going, you're in Jack's point of view, but then it's like, Jane looked at Jack. She thought, Jack is a conniving rat, you know, or whatever, right? So, 
So we establish the point of view, and every time we switch from point of view, we want to establish the point of view. In this story, the, the point of view, I'm with the boy, but then suddenly I'm looking at the boy. So mm. now I'm confused. If I'm looking at the boy, who am I looking through? Correct. Correct. So, but, but it's slightly different. So there's like, there's aspects of, and, and here we're really talking about the physical point of view, because we can say the boy ran to the front, uh, you know, the boy ran to the front, right? So that's not putting, that's not shifting the point of view for me. I'm still with him in the majority even though that's a narrator telling me what he's doing. He ran to the front, stared at the screen, the blinking lights overwhelmed him. He felt his heart in his throat. What has happened, right? That's now heard, right? So that's heard by everyone and us. And then then it says, he said, or he screamed. Okay, that he screamed is the narrator. He's not thinking that at all but it's not part of the physical experience. So oh. that's the narrator is coming down to help us understand who said it. And so even though the narrator, so that's narrator point of view in a sense, but it doesn't really feel like a point of view. It's really just a helper. So, Correct. but if the, if the narrator comes in and says, he was a boy just like any other boy, he didn't know better this, that, or the other thing. If, if that happens, then that is a, that, then that is a narrative point of view, a narrator's point of view. It's okay, but let us know that it is. So, right. So this goes back to my my simple my simple writing solution to this is if you're going to have those multiple points of view, not this narrator coming and says he said. So that's simple. But if you're actually going to shift multiple points of view, multiple character points of view, character and narrator point of view. If you're really going to do that, separate them into paragraphs at least. Um, people who write novels, so there was someone in Stanford who wrote a novel with multiple points of view. Um, oh, a, a really good example of multiple points of view done better than, than this novel is called The Corrections by Jonathan Franzen. By Jonathan? Um, Jonathan Franzen, The Corrections. It's not, it's not totally even, but it is a great, um, it's a great example of writing in multiple points of view, but he basically writes points of view in entire sections. So it's one character's point of view this whole time. Then he goes to another section, it's this character's point of view the whole time. And, and what's good in his work is that he recognizes how different the whole world and experience of the world is from a different point of view. Hmm. Hmm. That is that is one of the things to keep in mind when you're writing. Jack saw the world this way, and Jane saw it this way, and you switch points of view. Those points of view have to be different. What happens in genre writing, right? Genre writing is more concerned with plot, basically, than character. Let's say in general, and when you see points of view shifts in genre writing, they do it just because it's a plot expedient. You know, you're. You need to be in the war room in the Pentagon, and then you switch point of view to be in a submarine in the Bering Strait. So what? You're doing it because you want to be in the war room and you want to be in the Bering Strait. The characters are not deeply perceiving the world. So 
So, like, to read something like, um, you know, John le Carre, you know, read John le Carre and then read Jonathan Franzen to see the difference between a plot-oriented point-of-view shift and a character-based one. Got it. Thanks for uh, this. I think that's, that, that's, that's very useful. Points of view and the transitions. Yeah, the, the, the thing about the character, so that idea about, so if you have that character and having it be the physical point of view, I think that that's a really kind of a good point. I hadn't really thought of it that way before, but you're dealing with the physicality. Where is that point? Where is that point? And also, where is it pointing? I don't know if you remember the story that we read last year towards the end. Um, you know, the, the guy had written about, you know, this prince standing on a rampart overlooking the horizon. But then there, there's a sentence about what's on his back. And I go, you know, I go, whoa, you know, how am I seeing his back? Where the heck am I? You know? When I'm looking out at the horizon line at that and I'm seeing the dust of the armies coming or whatever, you know, I love that stuff, right? So the dust is coming, looking out over the horizon, and then I see what's on his back. It's not possible. So, like, it goes along, it goes along with this basic idea, like, we want to try and represent, right? We're not writing life. We're writing a representation of life using words. But every single person on earth has an experience of perception that works the same way. We are all locked in one point of view, right? Our own, that's it. We see forward, we hear from everywhere, we taste what we put in our mouth. We're all the same in regard to perception, basically. There are some people who have different kinds of perception and, and writing about those characters can be really interesting. Um, another, another book, a, a real writer's book of short stories, amazing, amazing writer, um, Anthony Doerr, and the book is uh, The Shell Collector, a collection of short stories. <clears throat> He's, he is a writer's writer. So like, He's, he's working with point of view, and one of his points of view is someone who's blind. Read that story. That's the title story, The Shell Collector. And you'll see that when Anthony Doerr writes, writes The Shell Collector's points of, point of view, he doesn't have visuals. He doesn't have visuals. And it's so tactile and it's so filled with concrete detail and sound and all of these things. And he's doing that on purpose, of course, so that we have the experience of the shell collector. We're not having some kind of, you know, outside experience. Um, it's a very, I think it's our most powerful tool, but, you know, basically the ability to go with point of view into character is our most powerful tool and it achieves the thing I want to achieve in writing, which is to get my reader to have the experience of another life, to get out of their life and go into this life, in this world. That's what I like to do, but truthfully, the plotting thing is we're, we're just as versatile 
I mean, look at what we can do. Um, you know, we had writers writing about being on Mars, like Ray Bradbury, way before we had the technology to represent that in any kind of reasonable way in the movies. So writing is an exceptionally versatile tool. It's a ridiculously versatile. So I, 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 can't, I can't fault the genre writers, and I love reading some genre stuff too. So it's not, there's not finally, um, you know, some kind of hierarchy. Um, I had a question actually. Uh, Rilla, nice to see you. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. And uh, I would like to establish, like to establish a point of view or different, like shifting different multiple points of view. Can we uh, show setting, if I, if I describe a setting, different setting, does that help in transition of different multiple points of view? Right. So if you're, if you, so this is what I, this is what I think. So if we are going to shift points of view, just like if we shift time, if we shift anything, right? As soon as when we, we leave, we take, we put the reader here by establishing point of view, which means we're establishing the character and the location and the time, right? That's the establishment, right? Mm -hmm. So we do that. When we shift, we have to take this person out, but we have to do it thoroughly and we have to put them in again. So that means we have to get them in that point of view. We have to establish the point of view, I say, that's what I write. Establish point of view, um, establish the time and the setting, time and location, and the action, because the action is time. So we need to then go into the new one. We have to do it every single time. If we, and so, and this is the way I think it happens, you know, like, so that's fine. So I write a chapter in one point of view, and then I write a chapter in another point of view. I think I've still lost something, okay? So everything, it's a cost to benefit ratio. I hate to be, you know, Ram, I'm gonna go to the accounting, but it's, that's what it is. So great, you have a benefit of having multiple points of view. What did you lose? There's no free lunch. Okay, we don't just get a free lunch in this world, you know, we we lost, you know, if I have 180 pages, and I went in, and I went go into one character's point of view for the whole duration, then I have 100% of immersion in that character. If I go into two points of view, now I have 50% immersion into one character and 50% into the other. Right. But there's a further thing. If I have one point of view, other point of view, one point of view, other point of view, one, two, 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 I'm basically taking the reader and going, I'm throwing them around like an old piece of dough, right? I'm doing something to them that they never, ever, ever do in their real life. I never, no matter how much I think that I know what Ram is thinking right now, I never actually know. I can never be in his point of view, never. So the more I do something as a writer that is completely unlike the experience of my reader, the more I risk losing my reader. Uh, in a single point of view, we are putting the, uh, the person through different, like uh, for drama, creating that uh, drama. You're trying to put them in different settings and you know making them do a lot of things they, they're not ready to do. 
so uh, that way we are also changing point of view in uh, for one character also a single character also well i mean look at the story we just we just looked at if we if we just stick with that voice point of view i'm i'm telling you from my point of from my perspective that that child's experience is potentially significant for me to read about because it's an experience one that i've had but now what we want to do as a writer is we want to take it to a greater depth than our reader has experienced it so you don't want to just write for me an experience I've had. Okay, I've had the experience of being disappointed. You want to probe that experience more deeply and give the reader something new, right? You want to, you want to um, expand the boundaries of the reader's experience. But I'm saying that even that experience with that boy, if I stick with him, can have a profound impact on me. That's, that's what we're looking for. That's a significant thing to achieve as a writer. Um, so, so that's, that's, that's called going deeply into the character. Now, maybe you want to go, you want to, every time, every time you leave that one, so every time you leave that project, you're going into something that's a little bit more complicated, a little bit more plotty. I personally believe if you have multiple points of view, like let's say, <clears throat> so my, um, this person that was in my Stanford class, so she wrote a story that had five points of view. According to me, right? The, the protagonist can be anything, but the protagonist is the thing that changes. So if she wrote five points of view, that means the protagonist is five people. Right. It does also mean that my relationship with the protagonist force is complex. It also means that the end of the story is about five people changing, not just one person, right? So, I mean, this is, these are the simple, I'm a kid of scientists, so I think I have some problems in this regard, but that's the way I see it. Um, you just take on different responsibilities, cost to benefit ratio. What is it that you want to do? You have to decide, and then you want to do that the best way you so can. Make, you mentioned about making the choices. We have to make the choices here. All we do is make choices. Writers make, I mean, we, we're make, we think we're making only one choice. No, we're actually making a choice not to do everything else. So once we start to recognize that, then we understand how many choices we're making. Every choice is also a choice not to do everything else we could have done. So... We want to do everything we, we do on purpose to, to our point. And our point is, I think our point finally is to do two things, change ourselves right. through the writing process and change our reader through the reading process. Right. Yes. And also I, I have an observation like you mentioned that, um, we always think from our point of view. So when I was writing the short story, I was trying to rewrite it and everything. I found it very difficult to put myself, put the the, the character in point of view. So I was struggling a lot. My my, my nature was coming through the character. So the person yes. is me instead of the person. So it was quite a struggle to write a short story. I, I found out once I... Right. 
So you're you're having the experience, right? You're having the experience. That, like, let's face it, writing is a great job. Okay, it's a great job, and everyone in the world would be doing it if it was easy. Everybody. Okay, so typing is easy. Imagining that imagining the life of someone else. Okay, again, this is an experience we have never had. We never have this experience. It is an imaginative experience to be able to go from you into another person and see then the world in a completely different way. You want to be as honest about it as possible yeah. and do it as well as you possibly can, I think. Because any degree that you fail to do it, the reader says, basically, this is bullshit, right? Hemingway said, Hemingway said, uh, as a writer, you have to have a really good bullshit meter. <laughs> and what that means is not to see other people's bullshit, to see your own bullshit, right? And so, so it's great that you're having the experience of understanding how hard it was and recognizing that you're putting you into that character, not that character. That is the first step to actually doing it. That's great that you recognize that. Thank you. Um, let's look at let's look at Ram's piece. Um, I'll share again. I um, I'll just let you know if, if anyone chats with me, I am not one of these multi. I'm not a multi person, so I will never probably see your chat or be able to respond to it. I'm. Focus has always been my thing. And by, I mean, you, you see that even when I, um, you, you see that I lose my focus even when I am focused. So, um, okay, this is Ram's piece. So in Ram's piece, um, let's, uh, oh, let's have you read a little bit since you're here. Maybe you see this section here. Let's see if I can write. Um, uh, see that black line just there. Yeah. So aren't you angry in them? Sure. It's not important to you. Yeah. Aren't you angry? I asked Ambika. Why should I be angry? Because it's Vichitra Virya who will be bearing us, not Bhishma. So. What do you mean so? I threw up my hands in the air. It was Bhishma who carried us off from this Vayamvara. As per the Kshatriya code of conduct, he is required to marry us. A woman is first daughter-in-law of the house she marries into, and then a wife. Whether we marry Bhishma or Vichitravirya, we will still be daughters-in-law of the house of Kuru. Ambika was always the practical one. But the code of honor? Do you think the man who incurred the wrath of the kingdoms of Kuru Jangala to secure brides for his half-brother will break his woe and marry, marry you? She sank the sharp point of a knife into a ripe apple, puncturing the skin. A drop of apple juice dribbled down the side, filling the room with sickly sweet apple fragrance. And be practical, Ambalika, she chided me. Vichitravirya is king. By marrying him, the son born to me will be the next Chakravarti not by marrying Bhishma, only a caretaker, howsoever capable he may be. Ambika's words prick my ears. What do you mean the son born to you? 
well i am your elder so it is natural that my son will have precedence over yours okay thank you um um uh, this is a great section right thank you so this is a great section because we have we have a character mainly from my point of view we we have a character who gets on the page uh with this sister who has you know, we, we've spent most of this story uh, learning about the, you know, the prodigious, <laughs> the prodigiousness of uh, um, Bhishma. And, and, uh, and now from the point of view of one of the abducted uh, princesses, I'm thinking, um, she's sort of surprised that her elder sister uh, doesn't care about Bhishma and instead is happy to marry the king. And and uh, who who has a name, Ram? I love. I, I, so you got to help me learn this stuff. You do not want to just have an audience for people who are familiar with um, Indian lore. And okay. That's what where this is coming from. Right. So you, my my rule is I cannot control who opens up my book, Fair but point. everyone who opens up my book, I'm going to keep. Okay. okay. I, right. I don't care. I don't care if they come from Bali. I don't care if they come from, you know, the Australian outback, mm. or my neighbor next door. I'm going to keep them. Okay. Um, the only audience I might not keep is my mom. <laughs> <laughs> I accept that my mother may not want to read what I write, <clears throat> but otherwise, I want everybody. So, so just, you know, help us. But I, but I love that the king's name means something like, you know, it's like bizarre masculinity, I think. Yeah, know? I mean, this is, this is from the Mahabharata. So this is actually a story that, that will be part of an anthology uh, written by multiple authors. Uh, so Aditi, who is here, she is curating that anthology. Uh, so okay. because this was part, this is going to be a part of that anthology. Uh, so I have presumed a basic un, uh, knowledge of the story of the Mahabharata. So yes, you are right. Uh, that is something for me to think about that uh, the story, anybody who opens it, they should be able to oh, sink into it. Okay, look at it this way. Okay, so Ram, I, so it, in a sense, it's a, you know, it's, it's mythological, it's foundational to, to an entire culture. Right. Um, you know, it's a story that people know. So, so on the one hand, you have to think about what do you give that's more than what people already know. So that's right. one of the questions, True. right? And then, how do you also give this story to people who don't know? Because, I, like mm. I'm saying, I'm I'm serious. We want everyone to be the author, everyone to be our reader. Yeah. I read stories from uh, Greek myth, uh, Russian myth, uh, Chinese myth. I read, of course, the Grimm's fairy tales. Uh, I read uh, Native American myth. I read all of these to my children. Right. Right. You can think, and if you read those, you see that they they are accessible to everyone. Yeah. And, and they're incredible and wonderful stories. And I think that that's one of the things that that might be even the point, right? So someone could read the Mahabharata, right, and get this story too. But they're not reading the Mahabharata, they're reading your work. So your work right. should be more accessible. It's reaching, an, it's the same story reaching a new audience. That's right. part of the point. So so I would keep that in your mind and, and have it be so that everyone, you know, could read it. And that might mean that the narrator might have to, um, 
come in, like, let's say that name means, as, as I was assuming, you know, the sort of, you know, weird masculinity. One, one, one person is sort of synonymous with, you know, uh, this sort of prodigious uh, masculine efficaciousness, right? Which, which is like, um, you know, in the, in, in the Homeric epics, it's mm -hmm. very similar that, that, you know, they have these things called Homeric epithets. And, and actually, the oral literature, um, there, there have been studies on it, which you probably know, they, they have similar patterns and similar kinds of development because right. they serve similar functions for human beings and work along with the human, the human mind, basically. So they referring to the hero's journey. Right. Well, there's the hero's journey, but I'm actually talking about this little thing that the Homeric epithet is like, Brave Achilles, wily Odysseus. Okay. Right. So, like that little thing, what that does is because in oral cultures there was no ability to keep track of abstract information. There's only concrete. Mm -hmm. So the way you understand bravery, right, mm -hmm. is that you associate it with the actions of Achilles. The way you understand, right. The way you understand being wily or being strategic is you added to the story of Odysseus and what he did, because there's no way to retain abstract information. So I think that that's a little bit what you're what you're talking about here. Mm -hmm. But honestly, you know, I, I'm a freaking PhD. So I mean, I'm not your typical audience, not everyone's gonna get that. So um, then, then in this story, okay, so we have the basics, Ram, we can right. just we can, I know that you can do this yourself at this point. Right. I, I've had, I've had many people that work with me that are like, you know, <laughs> they'll do this. They'll be like, you know, I like this, you know, I like this a lot, but I think Otis would say that I need to establish the point of view, <laughs> that I need to establish a conflict, you know, it's right. like, so let, let me serve that function like a little parrot, you know, right. on your shoulder. No. I like that parrot, by the way. I like that parrot. <laughs> <laughs> so, <clears throat> so when we start, we're like, okay, you gotta establish the point of view in the conflict. Yeah. What's the story? Right. You know, if if I don't if I don't feel like something is happening, mm -hmm. and I don't care about what happens next, mm -hmm. I do the proverbial. Close the book, yeah. Yeah. So that this is. This is the basics for us, so we have to do it. Um, and there just isn't. I know we want to tell ourselves, Ram. I'm with you. I've done. I've done it all. Okay, to try and justify why this time in my story it's different and it doesn't need to happen. I've done. I've gone through it all. No, it, it does. In fact, I thought when I said that uh, the two sisters have different differing views of the city, I thought that established the conflict. But maybe it's not coming out that obvious. Maybe it's well, like I don't know. The, I don't know the story. So yeah. uh, you know, you're you have some code words there for some people who know the whole story. <laughs> and <clears throat> but but honestly, right. you still I think you still have the issue of you have to make it new. Mm. So. You don't want someone to, to open up that first word and say, well, I know this story and then close your book. Mm -hmm. Nor do you want me to say, I don't know what the story is and close mm -hmm. your book. Right. You don't want either of us to do that. Yeah. So you have to suggest, even in the beginning, how Ezra Pound, 
was a fascist, by the way, so let's be clear. Ezra Pound said, make it new. So that doesn't mean that, so that, that's an important phrase. Right. We're not inventing the story, but we are responsible for making it new. Mm. We didn't make the story pattern. Mm. Um, our, our, our ancestors made the story patterns, and they made the story patterns because they're like life. So they didn't even make them up themselves. They weren't geniuses who invented it. It's character, event, change. That's what it, that means something happened. They didn't always know what happened, but they knew something did. Same with us. So, yeah, so, so we just gotta do it. Um, we gotta right. figure out what we're bringing to the table that's new. Right. Um, and so, and then you have, you, um, I'm not sure, no, it's not there. Um, you have this, basically, you have this beginning set up. So since that story isn't established, I don't know what to do with it. So the way, the way you're writing it right now is like an envelope. Right. But the envelope is usually something like, you know, it's something where I really understand. It's like, um, you know, Robespierre looked up from the corner of his dungeon. What do you want for your last meal before you take that long walk? You know, it's like, mm -hmm. I'll have the steak tartare, you bastard. Then it goes, right? So, so I'm established Robespierre is about to be executed. And then, then we go back to young Robespierre, right. you know, dashing through the fields and he loves butterflies, right? Whatever it is. Right. Um, I know what I'm getting back to. And okay. I know what the next steps are, right? Because right. it's the same way as everything we do. You can stop the story when you take the reader off the cliff. When they have an expectation for what's going to happen next, then we can stop the story. And we can only stop the story for as long as that expectation for what's going to happen next is going to remain. Right. So it has to be on their mm -hmm. mind. If we're going to write 80 mm -hmm. pages in between, we have to have them walk off a cliff where they're going to fall 80 stories to certain death. Again, not to be too mathematical about it, but there's a math to it, right? right. There's a kind of simple equation. Right. <laughs> I get that. Okay. When, when, we have the, when we have the envelope or go into any backstory, just like, you know, Sorella, we we're talking about point of view, in the same way, when we change times, we have to start the story again. Mm, so, right. right. So, like when you change points of view, you have to start the story again from this point of view. When you right. change time by going into backstory, you have to start the story in that time. So now we need to establish point of view again, and we need to establish um, uh, the okay. conflict again. Right. <clears throat> and this is also extremely important. The character in this case, we have a character in a front story, right? This woman, yep. the princess. Yeah. And we have a character in the backstory. Right. These two characters are. This is. This is going to blow your mind, Ram. These two characters are different. Yeah, I realize that. Yeah. Because this character here has had the experience, experience. of the backstory. Right. Yeah. So she has to seem different. This character mm. is naive. She mm. has not had the experience of the backstory. Mm. 
So right. we're really dealing with two characters that are that that need to feel distinct. You see how fun our work is, right? right? I mean, yeah. this is it's great. Um, right. Okay. Um, then I think uh, this is uh, this is just uh, <clears throat> um, this is in the in the envelope part of the story, but. I just want to, I, I really want to embed this pattern. So again, mm -hmm. well, once we've mastered this pattern, then we can do every other wrong pattern. But let's just do the one right pattern first and make sure that we're experts at it. So <clears throat> when, we want to, when we want to stop the text, as in something is happening, so I just, this is just an example, okay? Um, I'm not sure that it's going to end up being effective even written, but I just want you to have the pattern for sure. Okay, so do you remember uh, a, a blinka? Sorry, I can't. Oh, sorry, yeah, yeah. The day we entered the city, she asked me, right? And then you write, I nodded. Um, how could I not remember that day? Okay, so that means we have, so when this part, do you remember, that's an action, that's dialogue, a character is saying that. Action? We have action. Right. If right. we want to stop the action, we stop the action in order to raise the stakes to the next action. That's the mm -hmm. pattern we want. So okay. that means we write this, we write this way, we write, do you remember, do you remember the day we entered the city? She asked me. Then we go into how could I forget? Okay. Da, 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 okay. And then we say, I nodded. Okay. So that's the Got pattern. Okay. Action, okay. stop the action, right? And you'll notice that that's exactly the same as um the front story, stop the action, back story, back to front mm. story. It's the same pattern. Our patterns are actually, you know, speaking to the, the, the Mabarata and coming back from the oral traditions, our patterns of storytelling are the same as they were in ancient times. Right. Okay. So we have a, and they're the right. same. Right. Okay. Right. Um, Readers mm. do not know this, but we know it. Right. And they never tire wow. of getting things exactly like they've gotten them before, but made new. Right. But they definitely get tired of seeing things that they've never seen before and make no sense to them. Right. We have very patterned ways of thinking. So we'll just do those patterns. Okay. Well, this and, is very useful. Thank you so much. And then my my next thing with this is just about realism. Okay, so right. I think, so, okay, so I box, okay? So well, I used to box, okay? I cannot have any more massive head trauma. You can already see that it's <laughs> taken its toll. Right. But I can box one person, okay? You have a lot to deal with. You have that person, you have two hands. I mean, we're not even talking kickboxing. We're not even talking weapons of any kind, right? Where there's a certain distance, et cetera, et cetera, and they could do anything. Right. Okay. It's a, it's, I know personally, it is mm -hmm. phenomenally occupying. My ability to fight two people is zero. Okay. You have a prince who fights a whole bunch of princes. Yeah. Okay. They all have weapons. Yeah. The likelihood of the, you being successful in that is mm -hmm. very slim. Because a boxer mm -hmm. is going to punch me from behind my back. 
This right. goes back to the point of, point of view, right? Mm -hmm. Human beings are social animals. We have our right. eyes in the front of us. Yep. I watch your back, you watch mine. Like sure. if there was someone looming behind me, you would tell me, Ram, wouldn't you? Of course. No, you wouldn't. No, no, of course I wouldn't. I, 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 don't, I, I, I told you I like that parrot. I don't want it hurt. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, but anyway, this is the way this is the way right. human beings are because right. I can't see behind my back. So right. that's point of view, right? We've developed a certain kind of point of view. We're not like gazelles that can see mm. all around. Right. So we're dealing with realism a little bit. And mm. so I think you have to, you either have to go one way or another. So the new thing you could be bringing is mm -hmm. since you're taking a mythological story, right. you could try to bring realism to it. Okay. Or, or you could be depicting the mythological story. Right. right. So make a choice, but make it clear to us what choice it is. Understood. So, so when you go into this woman's point of view, my expectation is that I'm dealing with realism, right? Because oh, okay. I have a woman, I have a woman who's on a chariot and she's mm -hmm. seeing things. That's mm -hmm. realistic, and so okay. we share that objective world. Mm -hmm. Okay. So then I'm. So then I have a conflict with mm -hmm. given things that are not realistic. Um, Okay. Uh, no, I see where you're coming from. Uh, but the the uh, in the world that in which I have put this story, uh, he is actually that capable. So he's capable of fighting a number of people at the same time. So maybe I need to work on it too, or, or because if that is what I have in mind, maybe I have to create that world I know. for it to be. Yeah, so so I, you know, I'm watching Marco Polo right now, and they have some you know you know the. the you know, it's true. You know, the Chinese are making some great movies, some right. great martial arts movies. And I would love to see some of the Mahabharata stories uh, turn into okay. turn into movies that are like, I mean, the Chinese are, are clearly doing it in order to develop a sense of tradition and nationalism for their right. They're doing it right. for, for nationalistic purposes. And uh, and I don't know if you have movies. Also, uh, there is in, one uh, yeah. actually on YouTube. Actually, uh, famous one is by Bia Chopra. There's, there's a series of Mahabharata. That, that's in Hindi. You have to turn on the subtitles for that. that they... It's very famous, actually. So this is like a 185 episode uh, series, yeah. and it has the record of having the highest viewership on BBC UK. By the way. Really. So when it aired in BBC, it had the highest viewership in BBC UK. Of course, I'm sure it has since been overtaken by maybe some football matches since. I don't know. But at send that me, time, uh, it had the send, highest send, viewership. Send me a link. I'll do uh, that. The, the, uh, the production values, you know, I mean, I've just been watching some of these, you know, like Ip Man and some others, you know, the, the production values of some of these Chinese movies are just phenomenal. But anyway, so right. so even, mm. even when we see these sort of, you know, these martial artists basically that are so capable. So like I myself, when I'm watching, I mean, I can get caught into, you know, it, it looks great, right? There's eight guys around one guy, right? but it's the way that we all understand the way you film a martial arts movie. One guy fights them, then the other guy fights them. Okay. Yeah. Of so, <laughs> so like, you know, like the, the, you know, the, 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 the uh, you know, the German hordes that destroyed Rome, they didn't fight like that, you know. They didn't go one at a time. They just are, right. you know. Right. Um, 
they're like, what the hell? I mean, it lunge and you know, you get a you get a rib, you get anything, you you have a big advantage. Um, you just have to work on making us believe it. So that's the that's the thing. There's there's a very uh, famous story. I'm going to share with you one of the most famous stories from writing workshops with about Barry Hanna. So Barry Hanna um, taught this workshop, and I and I actually I, I I knew him, and I asked him about this story. And there's a story of him. Someone had written a story in which um, they, they wrote. Uh, and he uh, he pointed a gun right at my face, and I didn't feel anything. Okay, that's what the that's what the student wrote. The next week, Barry Hanna came in, and he took out of his bag a gun, and he pointed it at the student, and he said, "Tell me you don't feel anything." That makes a point, I think about the human animal right so we're still dealing with the human animal right we have to figure out how to put the human animal on the page right so you know yes this guy this cocky you know this cocky writer was like that's how tough i am i can imagine this situation i don't feel anything it's like but we're but we're we're animals that feel yeah i mean that's that's what we do so you got to figure it out, you know, like yeah. whether, whether you make, whether you make it so that, you know, there's eight guys and one attacks and then another attacks, or there's 50 guys and one attacks and another attacks. You know, um, I think I made the, the, the point to Abhinav, even, you know, about his story where they ran up, you know, they ran up the stairs. I was like, you yeah. run up the stairs, your legs are tired. Right. You know, we don't, we, we don't, we don't you remember that. The yeah. yeah. So this is, just the kind of thing I want you to think about. Because right. you want, in the end, I want to go back to this idea that we're writing, but we have a reader on the other side. Right. And we're trying to figure out how to meld our experience, which means that you have to take in the way they, the way the reader understands the world. And the reader understands the world actually just like we understand the world. So what's our common ground. It's not to say that we can't go to magic or we can't go to myth or any of these things. We can, but we have to make sure we bring everyone along. Yeah, so we're understanding, it. you know, we have to just keep us together, basically. Right. Um, like I had the, I had the comment, I, I actually did one good thing for, for a writer at Stanford. She'd written a story and she wrote from a boy's point of view. And uh, the boy walked up to a house, and uh, the mother came out of the house. Um, and, and the way it's described is she wore uh, these shoes, and she had this dress and an apron and, and you know, hairpins and carried a shotgun. And I was like, okay, the boy, I don't know about women, but the boy sees the shotgun first. I'm yeah. pretty sure. Yeah. So that means the shotgun has to be here, and then you have to deal with the rest. I'm sorry. Right. And she changed that. But it's just it, to me, it's just true. You know, we have to deal with reality, the reality of human beings. Right. Um, and, and to the degree that we don't, we have to somehow be able to explain it. Right. And so, like, when I go to the martial arts movie, it's not that it's being explained to me that they're coming one at a time. 
but that's what I am seeing. And so therefore it explains it to me. Right. Um, so that's, and then, and then the other thing with this piece, you take on, you take on a huge degree of difficulty as a writer in terms of, you know, going to the big thing that we do, which is imagination by one writing from a woman's point of view and then writing from such a historical woman's right. point of view. Right. So I don't know, I don't know what work you need to do to help me understand how you can make, you know, to make that real. But again, you got to go to the audience. So right. right now we have a, we have a character who is basically seems to be abducted. I mean, and, and, and maybe she's being raped. I mean, she's been, she's been pillaged. You know, it's like the rape of the Sabine women. You know, you can, I don't think the Sabine women wanted that, right? I don't think. Mm -hmm. So if it's going to be, if it's going to be okay, you have to figure out how you bring me there too, right? So like you can make that transition, but you have to really make it. You have to really know that character. And you also have to bring me along so that I can accept it. Because again, the moment I don't accept it, I distance myself from the work and now you're losing me. And we never right. want to do that with any of our readers. So um, okay. it's, it's continuous problems for us. Right. So like as we we're saying with Sorella, you know, it's like constant problems where we're making constant choices to solve those problems. I mean, it's right. like a hugely prodigious task. Luckily, there's some things that are not that difficult, like the writing, like the patterns that we need to engage in. But right. everything else, the imaginative, the imaginative issues are. Yeah, we're, we're problem solvers, you know. Um, but uh, and then and then for me, just to go back to this section that, that I really enjoyed so much, the reason this jumps off the page is the characters become real for me. Okay. Right. Like the sister, basically here, uh, right. the sister becomes real. It's just you know it's already plotted in the work, and and the thing when you go to the Mahabharata or you go to the Odyssey or any of these stories, any of any of the myths. They are great stories. Absolutely. We just have to bring it out. We know that they're great stories. We know this because they lasted. The great stories last. They worked. So we want to take what worked from them and we want to bring those up even more. And and you know what works for human beings so well is when we when we feel like we read something and we understand ourselves better from reading it. And, and that's what I start to get when I start reading about the sister, because I'm like, yeah, <laughs> that makes sense. She's like, she's like looking out for her kids. I get it. You know, right. I'm, I, I understand I'm not necessarily supposed to like it from the point of view character, but I also understand it and it seems real. Right. Okay. If you can show me the guy being able to defeat 20 guys, I'm going to read that with as much interest because like I tell you, I can only box one person at a time. So I am very excited to figure out how I can handle. <laughs> okay. So I, I didn't spend time Multiple. on that because that was not the uh, primary point of the story. So I just uh, did spend time on that. I, so, so, this, so again, we're, we're always just making choices 
So right. the thing is, sometimes if you don't want to deal with something, you don't. Yeah, you don't completely. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like like if it gives right. you problems, you know, you yeah. just you're like, you know, uh, he was still, you know, he was still sweaty and grimy from the battle. Um, mm. I I pulled out my handkerchief, but then thought better of it, put it back in my, you know, whatever. Right. And and anyway, the main thing we want to do is show we. We don't really care about the battle because that's not yeah. the story. Right true, now, she's true. either in the beginning she's leaving mm. the town or she's been abducted and she's on the chariot. Either way, what happened before doesn't matter, and what yeah. and you don't want to deal with what's going to happen because we're going to find that out. Of course. Keep us in the moment. That's right. that's usually the solution. Right. Okay. I'll make a note of that. Yeah, so I mean, look at that poor kid who Barry Hanna pointed a gun at his head. Um, <laughs> he uh, <laughs> he was a terrible drunk. He, he's the guy that wrote to me. Your story meanders like a drunk on a bender. That's what he wrote to me. Uh, he could identify. So that that was maybe he's talking about my himself. <laughs> <laughs> but but look at this. You know, if that writer had wrote, if that writer had wrote, and he pointed a gun at my head. And then right. he broke and then gone to the next scene, Barry Hannon never would have done that. Yeah. It's only because he wrote, I didn't feel anything, that Barry Hannah had to teach him that lesson. Yeah. I'll just tell you this story that many years later, I was at a racetrack with Barry Hannah and I asked him if that story was true. And he said, I never pointed a loaded gun at any student. <laughs> wicked, yeah, wicked. <laughs> That's wicked. <laughs> That's wicked. Yeah. Interesting. I, uh, I will remember the story. Maybe I'll use it somewhere. Yeah. So I'm. I'm going to tell you that is a good storyteller. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That is a good storyteller. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Um. All right. I think. Uh, any. Uh, any questions? Yes, we still I had only one two question. stories, and we still went an hour and a half. Come on. We did. I, we did. I had a question actually. Uh, yeah. For uh, for uh, suppose I am uh, drawing inspiration from a uh, text, historical text, or mythology, or any academic text. So uh, when I create the first line or the setting, uh, and to be true to myself and also to the story, to bring the story to to the reader. Do we have to start for the setting of the, sto of the story uh, from the mythology? Would you uh, advise me to do that? Or just go straight to the drama and create the drama from the first line itself? So I think it can be a great idea to maybe, you know, like if you have your piece and there's maybe just a quote that like can like get us, you know, enter us into some understanding of the context of what your piece is, I think that that could be a good idea. I might just do it as a little quote. Um, and then and then continue to, I, I really think, continue to think about what are you adding to this story? Like, if I were to rewrite Romeo and Juliet, the question is, why? Right? What am I doing when I do it? Right? So, um, if you saw the Leonardo DiCaprio version, I forget who was the director of that Romeo and Juliet, where they modernized it and they put it in Los Angeles 
and you know whatever they had guns that were called sword sword brand guns you know they did all this stuff but basically what they're doing is trying to bring shakespeare to a new audience right right it's a and and it's a so they were doing a very traditional rendition of shakespeare but ideally for a new audience right. um what are what are we doing uh malcolm gladwell in the united states a new yorker writer he's he's extremely good at bringing some science he, he does, he's not informing scientists of anything, but he is informing non-scientists of some things in science. And he's made a huge career of bestsellers by doing that. So, you know, changing your audience, deciding exactly who your audience is and what you're, and then what you're adding. That, that's really the, the big challenge. And what I would, what I would think, and this and this also speaks to your work here now, Ram, is that we have certain, um, you know, when I read about, if I read about Odysseus or I read about Achilles, I'm reading about someone who feels very old, right? If I read, if I read the, the Iliad, when I read a modern story, I feel like I, I really know that character, that they're really real. And so I think bringing that degree of realism to this thing that was old, you know, it's really interesting about the, the oral literature is that it was absolutely real to the people who heard those stories. Um, you know, what they heard, that, that was all there is. You know, the storyteller talked and it was just simply the truth. It's all they had. Um, we have some different issues to contend with in the modern world. So I think it would be great to to try and bring those characters into the modern world so that I can know them like I know my my Aunt Agnes. You know, um, that's a, that would be an amazing accomplishment, right? To bring them out of the past and make them relevant. I think that's um, but, but think about it and, and do it as you will. Or you could do it, or the other way to do it is to is to retain all the, the the aspects of myth about it, and then and then present that to a new audience. Like I would love, I would love to read all these stories to my girls. You know, they're, I I mean I, I love. In fact, I actually have read. I do have some some of the stories. You know, I read the story of Ganesh. You know, like those are they're, they're, they're wonderful. And so that's so that's them bringing stories that you know well to a new audience. Right again, but um, you know, you you think about it. You know, do you want it to be literary for a literary audience? Do you want it to be, you know, yeah. inclusive for you know an audience of all ages? You know, who who exactly are you writing for, and why? Okay, thank you so much. Yeah. I just want to add one thing, and this is something that uh, I figured reading plays. So there is this very famous Norwegian playwright called Henrik Ibsen. And uh, I think Henrik Ibsen plays are a fantastic study in uh, how, to, uh, how to create the personality of a character. So he introduces a character and within maybe two dialogues, you are unambiguously clear of what, uh, what the character's personality is. So I would very strongly suggest that people read Henry Gibson's plays. 
particularly there is this play called Hedda Gabler. Uh, in that, it's spectacular. I mean, the the Hedda Gabler walks in, and in two lines, you know what she's. I mean, that's right. I think so, that's amazing. Right. So, um, you know, keep in dialogue. I've already said it, but uh, David Mamet said a character doesn't always say what they mean, but they always say something to get them what they want. Yeah. So actions actions of character. You know, sometimes people will argue like. I don't know who said what. You know, it's there's too much he said, she said. The fact of the matter is, if you have to tell someone who said it, you have not written good dialogue. Every character represents themselves and what they say, yeah. absolutely, because they're trying to get what they want. Right. Right? And that should be clear. And what this character wants and what this character wants can never be the same. So they have to always be distinguished from each other. You know, you would never say, I want an ice cream, I want an ice cream. You know, there's just, there's no difference between those characters. Um, but yes, uh, Ibsen is great. I, I grew up on those plays. Okay. Um, all right. Um, well, thanks for being here. I'm glad we got started again. Yeah. Ashvani, Happy New Year. Aditi, Happy New Year. Happy New Year, thank Happy you. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. I'm not sure that a lot has changed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, uh, I'll see you next week. Yeah, but one thing has yeah. changed, Otis. Uh, we have changed, at least all of us who have been regularly participating in these sessions, I think over the course of the last two, three months, I can say for sure for every participant that we have changed and we have grown. So thank you very much. Yes. Oh, well, thank, thank you for saying well, that. I, so. yes. I appreciate that. Well, I really enjoy working with you all. It's a, it's a high point Same of, of Same what here. I'm doing, that's for sure. Right. It, yeah. Thanks, okay. Otis. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Bye. Thanks, everyone. Thanks. Yeah. Goodbye.